Show me the football. Are you ready for live football on your phone? With the Yahoo Sports mobile app, you got it. Watch local and primetime NFL games on your phone or tablet all season long. Never miss your local game. Never miss a big national matchup. All you need is the Yahoo Sports app. Get the Yahoo Sports mobile app and you are golden. Today's show is also brought to you by our friends over at Belvedere, the world's finest all-natural vodka. Belvedere is made with 100% non-GMO Polska rye, pristine water from their own natural well, and no additives. In an exciting development, The Ringer will be partnering with Belvedere to host their first ever crossover podcast, featuring Ryan Rosillo from Dual Threat, and us, Kevin Clark and Robert Mays from The NFL Show, all live from Caesars Palace in Las Vegas on November 12th at 9 p.m. Pacific, post-Monday Night Football game. Join Rosillo, Clark, and I as we discuss all things NFL, from the greatness of Pat Mahomes to Eli Manning's future in New York, plus a number of valuable gambling and fantasy tips. Come hang with the Ringer NFL crew in Vegas on November 12th, and just visit bit.ly slash Belvedere Live to purchase your tickets. That's bit.ly slash B-E-L-V-E-D-E-R-E-L-I-V-E to purchase your tickets. This is a very special live podcast. It's all made possible by the world's finest all-natural vodka, Belvedere. And please remember to always drink responsibly. See you guys at Caesars. The Ringer NFL Show on the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Robert Mays, joined as always by Kevin Clark. Kevin, how you doing, buddy? Well, how could I be better? Nathan Peterman is back in our lives. Greg Williams is leading a team. A lot of trade deadline yeah. movement. It's a golden age to be an NFL fan. It's been a fun week. Another active trade deadline. You wrote about that today. We've mm. talked a lot about why it's more active now than it has been in the past. But we're not going to do that today. We're going to nope. dig more into the specifics of the players that got moved. That's how we're going to kick off the show today. We're coming to you a little bit earlier just because the trades happened on Tuesday. So no reason to keep waiting around all week. This is going to be the biggest news for sure. So, Kevin, let's start our takeaways with the NFC East, where you know, three teams made splash trades. Obviously, the Amari Cooper trade from last week. The Eagles went out. The perpetually all-in Eagles went out and got Golden Tate. And in a somewhat more surprising move, the Redskins went out and got Packer safety, haha, Clinton Dix. So, I mean, this is a division where everybody got a little bit better. So, guess who won the trade deadline, Robert Mays? It's probably John Gruden. Johnny Gruden, as I wrote today on the ringer.com. John Gruden won the trade deadline because he got his first round pick for Amari Cooper a week before we figured out the value of a above average receiver in the NFL. I guess you could phrase it that generously. So Golden Tate to the Eagles are very fascinating to me. I talked to a number of people in the Eagles organization um, in training camp at the beginning of the season. And one of the things, we were just talking about their inefficiencies and, and talked to Jeffrey Lurie about it a little bit. And it's, it's in a story I wrote um, in September. But one of the things they thought was a real advantage was getting in guys to see if they're worth a long-term commitment. Kind of a date before you marry type deal. Uh, that has worked, obviously, with Alshon Jeffrey, who they took a one-year flyer on, then they extended for four years. Golden Tate is that. Golden Tate is a yards-after-catch lord. Like, he, he he breaks tackles at a better rate than almost anybody at the receiver position. He's basically a running back in the open field. I love him in this offense. You know, I, I Elliot Shore Parks has, has tweeted and written a couple of times in the last 24 hours that the only thing you need to be worried about right now, if you're the Eagles, is surrounding Carson Wentz with talent. And this does that. So they get half a season for him. Charles Robinson from Yahoo reported, I think he's going to be asking for $16 million in free agency. I don't know if he gets it at age 30, but I think generally it's a great move 
It's going to maximize their ability to win the NFC East. I think that the Redskins are still going to be there. You know, HaHa Clinton Dix and DJ Swearinger are the two highest rated safeties by Pro Football Focus this year. So they've got a, a formidable secondary now to go along with that run defense, which I guess is important in some weird way. And so, yeah, the NFC East got better on Tuesday. Neither of these teams are Super Bowl contenders, but the the race just got more interesting. I'll be curious to see what happens with the Eagles. I'm not willing to throw them out of the Super Bowl contender conversation quite. Still have a lot of oh, oh, oh Super Bowl. Con- I, I think it's possible. I think yeah, it's possible think it's if everything possible. breaks right. The Derek Barnett injury kills them. Yeah, I mean it kills them, but that's a spot where they have the most depth on their team. No, I agree, but I, you win with depth the defensive line. Like, yeah, you I mean, can't, obviously that hurts, but I don't think that precludes them from making some noise no, in the playoffs. I, 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 I think the world of the Eagles. I would not be surprised if they made the NFC Championship game by any means. Carson Wentz is quietly playing very well right now. Yeah, he is. I mean, numbers-wise, it's better than he was playing last year. I mean, his completion percentage is way up. And people have talked, you know, mostly in a fantasy kind of way about how the Golden Tate trade kind of just kills off Nelson Aguilar. And I don't really believe that just because this is a team that uses more 21 personnel than, excuse me, 12 personnel than any other team in football. And it's pretty convincing. I mean, Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz are playing together a lot. And they didn't necessarily do that last year. They did a a decent amount of it, but they also were willing to go 11 pretty often. And it also seems like they could play Tate, Aguilar, and Alshon Jeffrey together. I just think this gives them another playmaker, and I think this makes their offense better when they're lacking running back talent, everything else. So, and in terms of the compensation, even if he doesn't get 16 million, you know, even if it's a deal more in the 13 million range, you know, Alshon Jeffrey, that's exactly what he just got. Pierre Garcon got nine and a half million dollars yeah. two off seasons ago. I feel like Golden Tate at 30 could still do pretty darn well for himself. And with the Eagles being over the cap currently for 2019 it's almost certain that they won't be spending at all. So they're going to get a comp pick for Golden Tate in 2020, almost for sure, just because they're not going to have any money to throw around in free agency. So they're renting him for eight games by giving up a 2019 third round pick, but they're probably going to get a pick a year later anyway. I, I have a new theory on this, and it relates to Tate, who obviously is going to be 30 or 31 when negotiating. So I've written a lot about sort of the NFL's age problem and the sort of skewing of of rosters towards the guys in their first four years. It's almost ridiculous at this point. Jason Fitzgerald from Over the Cap tweeted last, I just saw that last night, 61% of NFL rosters are made up of players 26 and under. Only 15% are 30 and over. And when you consider how many of those guys are quarterbacks, you start to see a kind of a stark picture for veterans. I guess I'm wondering if someone like Tate isn't an inefficiency because teams just hate, hate, hate signing a player to a third contract right now. Maybe you get Tate for much cheaper than you would normally if you just look at his numbers. I mean, so much of the Amari Cooper stuff was, oh, well, he's only 23 years old. Well, who cares he's 23 years old? He's making $14 million next year. The only point of of Age is that those guys, I mean, unless you think he's going to spend 15 more years in the Cowboys, the only point of age, aside from, you know, some injury difference, is that that they're on their rookie contract. And so if you can get a guy who's 30, 31, 32 with massive production, I know there's a bigger risk there, but he's on a cheaper deal. That's a massive inefficiency for someone like the Eagles to pick up uh, a guy like Tate. We'll see what his market is. 
I, I feel like if you can get him for something a little bit less than that top wide receiver tier, even at 30, because let's be honest, these are two-year contracts anyway. Yeah. So if you're going to give him, you know, most of that money in the first two years guaranteed. So let's say it's something in like $30 million range. And you have a market where, you know, guys are making 16, 17 that aren't as good as he is, like Jarvis Landry, for instance. I think that that's something that's palatable for most teams. The problem is he's walking into a market where he's going to be by far, in my opinion, the number one option. Other free agent wide receivers next season. I'm not even counting Larry Fitzgerald. Randall Cobb, Dante Moncrief, Tavon Austin, John Brown, Jermaine Curse, Kevin White, Mike Wallace, Cole Beasley, Quincy Inunua, Calvin Benjamin. Jermaine Curse has more yards since the start of 2017 than Amari Cooper. Yeah, it's it just seems like FYI. Golden Tate's going to be the guy and that's going to pump up his his market. But if that's a good thing for Philadelphia, I mean, that makes total sense. And it's the reason that the, the Lions just couldn't keep him. I'm not surprised at all that they traded him. We'll get into that a little bit later on. But let's talk about the Washington trade for two seconds here. Are, do you think this moves the needle for you at all in regard to Washington? I mean, this is a team that's winning division currently. Feels like they absolutely could squeak out 10 games if things break the right way. But I know their defense is good already. I mean, now they have two of the best safeties in the league right now, the way they're playing. But if you can't score 20 points or 24 points, I'm not sure that you're a playoff team. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it the, the other day is, you know, Adrian Peterson winning a game for you is not necessarily sustainable. This is a team that is 13th in pass defense right now. Let's say Clinton Dix, you know, and he's been inconsistent. I don't know if that pro football focus grade reflects sort of the ups and downs of his last few years in Green Bay, but it makes them a little bit better. So now you have a above average or slightly above, above average uh, pass defense with a good run defense. That's enough to get you a couple more wins. But if the Eagles, I, I think this is all dependent. The entire division is dependent on the Eagles returning to normalcy. If they return to how they should be playing, the Redskins have no chance. Let's talk about the Clinton Dix trade from the Packers perspective. Mm. Do you like this for Green Bay? It just seems like a risk. It feels like this team could absolutely make the playoffs. Yeah. And you're going to try to squeak out you know, a mid-round pick for him when in reality you might just be able to ride it out. It's This team does not do much in free agency. Maybe they're making or planning on making some sort of push and that's why they felt like they could get they could let him go because they didn't really mind the comp pick calculations because this franchise historically is obsessed with that. I mean, they don't sign free agents for the most part. All the only guys they sign, including Jimmy Graham, are players that were cut from other teams because they love their third round comp picks. Right. So uh, it's a good question. So I we talked about the possibility of a Clinton Dix trade last week. My general thought is this, and I'll just take the Packer side for one second before swinging around. Aaron Rodgers becomes even more expensive very soon. You need as many picks as you can get because the only way you can win with a very, very expensive quarterback is to hit on a lot of your picks. They're not going to win the Super Bowl this year. They know that. There's probably no scenario in which they they reach the heights of the Rams and and the Saints. I know that they just played them last week, but I think that you know if you're just looking at the rest of the season, there's no guarantee they even make the playoffs. So if you're uh, Gutenkunst, if you're Mark Murphy, if you're Russ Ball, and you look at this 
this this landscape, I think maybe you you know the Aaron Rodgers deal is essentially for another four or five years. He's going to be around. I think you play a modified long game, push it towards next season. Hope you can hit on a number third round pick. I mean, listen, they had a really good draft last year, a really good draft in 2018. Jair Alexander is really damn good. The secondary guys he was they, awesome on they, Sunday. They, the secondary guys they added were really good. So th- this this regime has shown they can draft. And so I think that if you're looking at 2019, you have an extra third round pick to play with, fourth round pick, excuse me, to play with. I think that's, that is defensible. Those safeties are troubling, my man. I'm just saying, I like Jermaine Whitehead, Kentrell brother, and Kentrell. Oh Bryce no, is- I, I'm I, I'm not saying I would have done it. I'm saying that I'm taking. If I was to make the argument from the Packers side, if I was sent out there to make the argument from the Packers side, that's what I would say. As a Bears fan, I love these moves. I love I love the Golden Tate trade. I love the Ha Clint Dix trade. It's all great. I love that the Vikings didn't do anything. It's wonderful. It was a good day all around for a team that didn't make any trades. So can we right. t- can we talk about my next theory? Yes, I, I, I'm very excited about it. Why don't you lay it out for us? Okay, so the Kings stayed the Kings. There was probably a very small chance that anybody who was not in Super Bowl contention was going to vault into Super Bowl contention on Tuesday. The only possibility would be if maybe the Chargers traded for some elite player like a Patrick Peterson that would have helped their corner situation. The Vikings would have could have gone out and gotten a Shady McCoy or a Le'Veon Bell. Something like that that was not altogether likely but could have happened. That could have changed the, the landscape of contenders in the NFL. So that didn't happen. And so the four teams that were Super Bowl contenders on Tuesday morning are the four teams that were Super Bowl contenders on Tuesday night. That being the Saints, the Rams, the Chiefs, and the Patriots. The Rams went out and made that deal for Dante Fowler. I liked it. It was smart. It was low risk. They were already all in. Now they're all inner. I was on the radio with Nick Wright last night, and he made the the analogy to the Rams. They're the guy who are at the, at the poker table, and they're just like throwing their watch on because they've run out of money. Like they're just like here, here, here's here. I'm you know throwing the watch, trying to you know I'm on the phone with my wife, trying to get the you know keys to the car here, like that whole thing. They're just they they were already all in, and now they're all inner. And so I think that. It was a good day for those teams because I don't think the hierarchy necessarily changed. I, I still maintain that the two biggest, the biggest X factors in the league were not trades. They're when did Joey Bosa and Eric Berry get back? Because that's those are the best yeah. players who who haven't played for a team in the first half of the season. So I don't. I think this changed the playoff picture. It did not change the Super Bowl picture. I agree. I feel like most teams are looking around the league and they understand who's willing to go for it and why. And it's been that way for the last six months or so. I mean, the arms race that's been going on between the Rams and the Eagles has been so fun to watch. I mean, those are the teams that are in every single trade conversation because they're liable to make a trade at any point for anybody. I mean, the Eagles were in the Patrick Peterson conversation. How do they have the money? They'll find it somewhere, I guess. It's fun. I just love this version of the league when the formula has become so clear. If you have the quarterback, you just have to go as hard as you can in that direction. And the Rams and the Eagles understand it better than anyone because they probably have the best rosters and they're going for it. And it's a blast. It it just, the NFL has never been like this and it makes this time of the year so much more enjoyable. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I enjoyed just the idea. I mean, you remember even two years ago, we were saying, well, what the hell? Why can't we get this trade deadline going? And now it's, it's, it's going. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it's churning like on all cylinders. It's really, God, really fun. Yes. And yeah, so I, I totally agree with you. I, I just think that 
there's a clear delineation between the teams that should be doing this and the teams that shouldn't. And most of the teams around the league understand that. So you mentioned that you like the Fowler trade for the Rams. Do you feel like a third and a fifth is mm. worth it? I feel like that's a really good return for Jacksonville. Maybe it can be true for both. I agree. So if you're, I'm let me swing around on the Rams here again. If you're the Rams and you know you have a limited window and you say, okay, well, we can win the Super Bowl if we just get one more pass rusher, then you do it. Dante Fowler, I think, is sixth in just pass rushing by PFF grades this year, uh, 32nd overall as far as edge defenders. So if you think you can get to the quarterback, that's damn important. Um, he has two sacks. He's 15 hurries. He's yeah. been fine. Uh, well, the Rams were already third in hurries in the entire NFL. So it's just sort of a rich gets richer. It's not like, obviously, defensive line was not a huge weakness for them. They have the the biggest game record of this decade uh, on the defensive line. So but this here's the thing. I, 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 I said yes and no. I mean, I can understand where you're coming from with that. But when you don't have any edge guys that make a huge impact, that starts to matter. I mean, Ndamukong Sue has played a lot of defensive end for this team. Mm -hmm. So when you need a guy on the edge that can do some stuff, because if you don't, then the focus can shift so hard to those guys on the inside. And I think that this makes everybody better. And you can say Dante Fowler only has an impact in Jacksonville because of the guys he's playing with, but that's true in LA too. I mean, there's so much talent next to him that it's not as if he's going to take up a lot of attention. So I think that's the argument. I mean, he can have the same impact for the Rams that he had for the Jags. And that's probably true for maybe two or three teams in the entire league. Yeah. But I'm just saying the point is to win a Super Bowl. And, you know, I think that the Chiefs, if you read some of the reporting around the Chiefs, they did not want to go super all in because they know, first of all, they have a longer window with Mahomes than Goff does because Mahomes was drafted one year after. So you just have to consider that as far as the going all in. And by the way, the Chiefs tried to get Earl Thomas a month ago, so it's not like they're just standing pat. They just didn't overpay for a guy who who, who a team didn't want to part with, like apparently a Landon Collins or a Janoris Jenkins or even Ha Clinton Dix, so, who was available, obviously. But I just think that if you're the Rams and you think this can win a Super Bowl, then it's worth it. You know, I, I kind of think, I think the long game is very important, but I can see why if you think, if you think in the short term, this is our window, you take it. You know, one of the things, I remember reading a story a couple of years ago about Arsene Wenger, the Arsenal manager, and they quoted Billy Bean. And Billy Bean said something that stuck with me. It was that, it was like, well, he manages, it was a compliment. It's like, he manages the team like he's going to be there for a hundred years. And I understand why that's a compliment for, and why Wenger would take it as a compliment and why Bean would say it. But isn't the point, like, I, if you're managing like that all the time, you you never really realize when your window is your window. And, and that's sort of what I admire about Snead and McVay is they understand that this is the time. And if Fowler was the only guy that was available who they think they can make them better, then a third-round pick and a fifth-round pick is fine. So here's what I'll say about that. I, I think that's a fascinating point without managing for 100 years. Because I agree with you that you should go for it when you can go for it. But I also think that having that long view is a product of self-awareness in a lot of ways. And not enough franchises have that self-awareness. Mm -hmm. And that's why one of my takeaways is that I kind of like the Golden Tate trade for the Lions. Yeah, let's go. It, it, it makes sense to me. Because if you don't, if same with what you said about the Packers. If you're not going to win the Super Bowl, which I don't think the Lions are, you get a third round pick for Golden Tate next year. Wait, and the Lions aren't going to win the Super Bowl? I, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I know you're shocked by this. You get a third round pick for Golden Tate next year. And everyone, every Lions fan was crowing about, well, why would we trade Golden Tate? We're going to get a third round comp pick for him anyway. 
that's not how that works. Like if that's only if you don't sign any other free agents, the lions aren't the Eagles. They have cap space and they have tons of holes. So if you're the lions, you have about 35 million in space for 2019 right now. You probably have a couple cuts. Who knows what the cap's going to be? Maybe it's 192. So that gets up to 4750 pretty quickly. And now you don't have Golden Tate. I mean, now you don't have to worry about the comp pick thing. You spend and you have that third round pick in hand next year. I just think that a lot of GMs, like the GM in Tampa, who sat there and just said, no, we're not trading Deshaun Jackson. I don't care have the short view of this. And sometimes you have to. Well, was that, was that, but yeah, that was a job preservation. The only way that, the only way that would have turned is if the owner was like, we got to, we got to play the long game here. And that's a hundred percent. And that's fine. But I'm just saying, it's nice to know that maybe you have that job security because you can make smart decisions. Mm -hmm. And that's what the lions did. I feel like it's not counterintuitive for you to trade for Damon Harrison and then trade away golden Tate. Damon Harrison is on a decent-sized contract next year. It's a $7 million hit, but there's no dead money. You can move on from him at any point. It's a low-risk contract for a very good player, and you gave up a lesser pick than you had to, than you got in the Golden Tate trade. I think that both of those moves, even if they seem like they're fighting each other, are in pursuit of the same goal. I really do, and that's to make your team the best it can be over the next few seasons. Do, do you know Bob Quinn has not spoken to the media since the draft? That's incredible. That a lot of teams do that though, but you would assume he no, would have done some, some I don't sort think of, that's true. I, I don't I I think every GM in the league is at least available a couple times a year. I don't want to compl- I'm not an access complaining guy. I just found that very fascinating. I feel like there are some teams where they're available like at the draft and at the end of the season press conference. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Uh, or after the draft and the end of the season press conference. But it would seem like after you make two blockbuster trades, your GM would be available. The, Tom Coughlin doesn't speak a lot to the media. I, I don't know. I don't keep tabs on all this, but th- that's not super shocking to it's me. I know some are pretty reclusive during it's kinda, the season. It's kind of funny to me. Um, okay, yeah, no, I get it. I, I They're going through a, a rebuild, I guess, in Detroit. I mean, I just, I kind of feel like, and th- this extends to the Packers as well, because there are four clear-cut teams, it's really hard to break into that. I kind of feel like this is the year to retool a little bit and look towards 2019. So, look, the Lions have Matthew Stafford. And we've gone over this a million times. I know it doesn't seem like Matthew Stafford is a elite, elite quarterback, and maybe he's not. But Matthew Stafford can win you a Super Bowl because he can put up a lot of points and only a couple of things need to change for him to get into that elite, elite level, okay? So if everything breaks right, the Lions could be contenders because they have a really good quarterback. So I think that pushing your chips into next year is a, a or 2020, maybe they're targeting 2020, uh, is a fine strategy. Whether or not it'll work is a completely different, different subject, but the strategy might be sound. I really like where this team is going offensively. Their offensive line has been so much better this year, so much better. Matthew Stafford is not getting pressured at all. They're running the ball. And losing Golden Tate hurts you on the offense. Obviously, he's a really good player. But you have Kenny Galladay and you have Marvin Jones. Stylistically, they're very different. You can't replace Tate stylistically. But you can make up a passing game with those guys. It's still pretty dangerous. Mm -hmm. I think you need some money to go after your defense and you need some picks to go after plays on defense. That is important. I agree. They beat the Patriots this year. Yeah. Well, I, so, can, I, I have to say, 2018 is the all-time record holder for just games that might not have actually happened. 
It's still early. The Jets Lions game. The Lions have played two of them. The Jets Lions game was the weirdest game of all time. And then the Bills Vikings game was the weirdest game of all time. And then the Lions Patriots just didn't make any sense. And the Lions just got shellacked by Seattle. I don't know. It's, there's a lot of weird stuff going on with the Lions, most of all. We're absolutely living in a simulation. FYI. All right, last one here. Which receiver of the three that were traded do you feel like will have the biggest impact on the team that they're going to play for this season? Obviously, the so wait, Cooper we, trade is we have this. We have this question because we wanted to mention Marius Thomas, but I'm not yeah. going to be doing that. I'm just going to say Golden Tate. Okay, that's totally fine. Let's talk about why Demarius Thomas isn't that impactful. And because he doesn't he play not, offensive line. He is not as good for this offense as Will Fuller was. No. I firmly believe that. He's a much different receiver. The only thing that's good for this is that he's going to take away some attention from uh, DeAndre Hopkins. You need another outside presence so you can't just roll over DeAndre Hopkins every single time. Yeah. That's why Demarius Thomas was traded. It's fine. I'm fine with it. I just, you know, anything that can help Deshaun fly on commercial aircraft, I'm okay with. <laughs> all that matters at this point. All right, before we move on, let's take a quick break. KiwiCo creates super cool hands-on project for kids that makes learning about STEAM fun. KiwiCo projects are designed to spark creativity, tinkering, and learning in kids of all ages. They inspire kids to see themselves as makers and to develop creative confidence to change the world through engineering and creating their own innovative designs and outcomes. Their mission is to empower kids, not just to make a project, but to make a difference. KiwiCo makes the perfect gift for the kids in your life. Each month, they'll receive a fun, engaging new project, which will help develop their creativity and confidence. KiwiCo has six lines of projects to choose from, like the Tadpole Crate for kids zero to two, all the way up to the Tinker Crate for teens. KiwiCo is offering today's listeners the chance to try them for free, just in time for the holiday season. To redeem this offer and learn more about their projects for kids, visit kiwico.com slash NFL. That's kiwico.com slash NFL to try them out for free. Now back to the show. All right, let's get to this week's Take Shop. These are the takes that we're not sure we entirely believe, but we might be getting there. All right, what's yours this week, buddy? Uh, so we both want to talk about the Browns. Yeah, it's a big week for Browns chatter. Uh, I don't think I'm going to throw this out there. I don't think Greg Williams should be, I, I think that they should have just cleaned house. And I think that Greg Williams maybe should not be allowed to coach the Browns. We are not that far removed from Greg Williams being disallowed to coach anywhere in any capacity in the NFL. I, I not a lot of, not a lot of red flags, more red then it's time to solve the dysfunction. You two are fired, and we're bringing in Greg Williams to smooth everything out. What is what that? Could, what could go wrong? What, what is wrong? that? A, a team led by Greg Williams that has the number one overall pick. Oh, my God. I mean, could that's... I, I can't imagine... Everything that led up to Greg Williams is here to solve the dysfunction. Now, first of all, I, I had a couple people tweet this at me, and and I completely agree. We had like five. How many episodes of Hard Knocks are there? Five or six? Something like that. Yeah, we had just five and a half hours of documentary evidence that this was going to be a complete disaster, and it absolutely was. They weren't hiding for the cameras. 
No. I mean, it's, and that's the stuff the they Browns showed you. are who we that thought the they were. They showed you. Well, like, imagine what we didn't see. They okayed all of that stuff. At a certain point, that conversation <laughs> with Haley and Hugh Jackson in that meeting, they were just like, well, it's not as bad as the other shit. I guess we might as well let them show that. Do you know that I have, I have a friend who, I, do you know that th- th- there's a lot of, uh, the what gets on TV and what doesn't is endlessly fascinating to me. Because, you know, the mic'd up stuff goes through NFL PR staff. Sure. I was once told that if if raw audio got through uh, into the masses and was not edited out by teams, they, that there would be a massive scandal every week. Oh, absolutely. Just the shit these guys imagine. say to each other is just unbelievable. Yeah, just like they find out, okay they with, find but. out their deepest, darkest secrets, and they just scream it at each other. I feel like at some point, you know, like when the league stepped in and just took over the the Hornets. I, I'm not saying yeah. it has to go to that degree, but maybe the league should step in and just be like, I don't know, who's a good example? Like Marv Levy. Marv Levy was on the Monday Night Game. He was just there with Jim Kelly when Thurman Thomas's jersey was getting retired. Marv Levy's like 95 years old, but they just be like, Marv, just. Just take over the team for five, for eight weeks. Yeah. Like you're in charge. Like we know it's not going to go that great, but we know it can't be worse than Greg Williams. Just well, go at you it, could buddy. also just make it like a Bill Snyder thing, Kansas State, and just make him the coach for like a, another decade. <laughs> like Bill Snyder came in to shore up this Kansas State thing after Ron so Prince. True. And he's been Ron there Prince, for yeah. 10 years. Oh, that's such a, that's such a I, better example. I, I checked that out a couple weeks ago. I couldn't even believe he was still there. I don't really watch college football anymore, but I'm like, Bill, I mean, who's coaching Kansas State now? Oh, it's Bill Snyder. It's still Bill Snyder. Yeah, I, I was shocked when all of that went down, but it was amazing. I mean, he's an all-time great college football coach. Uh, that we, this is off topic, but that was one of the worst college football programs in the history of college football when he took over, I believe, in 1989. Yeah. And the fact that they've been nationally irrelevant for the last 30 years in any capacity is just a miracle. But there are other examples like Tony Dungy. Like Tony Dungy's just sitting there on TV. Just, just go take over, Tony. Like have an adult be in the room. That's all that matters. And there is not one now. Wait. I, I just. You know who they should bring in? Bruce Arians. Oh, way better choice. Just I'm have sorry. him. That's just, the perfect so one. So he was, a, he was the Browns offensive coordinator in, in the Tim Couch era. You bring him in. He, he gives some funny quotes to the media. He yells at some people. He, uh, you know, he evaluates some talent. He tells Baker Mayfield what to do. He yells about spread offenses for a while, and then he just leaves. Goes back to the booth. Was he calling that game on Sunday or no? I don't, I don't think so. I, okay, yeah, that's right. I don't think he was either. But if he were, it's just like he could have stayed or flown back with the team. I think he was uh, calling the Panthers game. I can't remember. Panthers I listen Ravens. to all these games on mute, so I never pay attention. What? But, well, I, can't, I watch one game with sound, but I watch the red zone on mute. Okay. Because it just drives me crazy when I'm going back and forth. I'd rather listen to an entire uh, game and hear like the rhythms of the announcers than have them switch every I single time. I wrote a story two years ago about Steve Belichick, Bill Belichick's son. And he said that he learned football by watching games on mute. And the reason he did that was because his grandfather, Bill's father, thought the announcers were just all idiots. And they were like, <sighs> he was like, never watch a game with the sound on. And I don't think that. I just learned a lot about Bill Belichick when I heard that story. I would rather watch, like on Sunday, I'd rather watch the Bears game with Romo and Nance on one TV with the sound on and then have Red Zone on the other TV not with the sound. So I just listen to one set of announcers. Hmm. So wait, so your take shop is Browns related? My take shop is also Browns related. 
And uh, I'm starting to think this might not be a good coaching job. I, when I was talking about um, it and writing about it on Monday, I was very into the idea that they could get a really good candidate. You have Baker Mayfield. The roster is very talented. But then you hear more and more stuff. One, Greg Williams is the interim head coach. Someone decided that was a good idea. Two, who knows how involved John Dorsey is going to be with all of this? You know, the whole problem with bringing Hugh back is that it seems like Dorsey and Hugh were in different chains of power within the organization. Haslam had the, you know, he was their boss. If we're doing like an org chart of how the Browns work. And now it seems like Dorsey is going to be more involved. But the last time John Dorsey was the general manager, remember the problem was that it just seemed like he struggled with the managerial aspects of it. He's a phenomenal Mm. scout. He's a phenomenal talent evaluator. But kind of running that building is what a lot of general managers do. And who knows how that's going to go. And in Kansas City, even, you had a guy like Andy Reid who had so much control over so many elements. You know, when Andy Reid was in Philadelphia, he was much more of the overseer. You know, he was the CEO head coach in a way that a lot of people are. He'd been there for a long time. You know, Marty Morningwig ran offensive meetings. Marty Morningwig did offensive install, all that stuff. In Kansas City, Andy Reid was in charge of that stuff. He oversaw everything. Uh, Brian, it just, Bri- Brian Billick once referred to Andy Reid's reign as a benevolent dictatorship. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, I mean, he now has, he runs every, he ran everything in Kansas City. He still does. So you have a general manager that dealt with a coach that was super involved. And now you have a GM that's probably going to be in charge again. And maybe that's not necessarily going to be the case with who they hire. Yeah. So I just think that I have more questions. And let's say John Dorsey isn't the one that is really overseeing everything and super in charge. That leaves Jimmy Haslam again. And we know how that's gone. So I just feel like um, as I think more and more about this, I'm getting a little more apprehensive about how good that job is for the person that should take it. So there's a couple of things. Number one, bad owners can become good owners if there is someone in charge who can take control of the organization. I think John, I, I think John Dorsey's a really good GM, and I think that he can be empowered, and I think you can hire a guy like Lincoln Riley, and then he wins and he has innovative schemes. And I don't think there'd be a lot of meddling. That is my, that is my guess. I mean, I think one of the problems, that's my hope. One of the, one of the problems with the Haslam regime has not necessarily been Haslam. It's been the fact that they've hired a bunch of crappy people and in, in succession and thus, you know, you start losing and then the meddling begets, begets more meddling, that, that kind of thing. So it kind of feeds on itself. It's, it's, it's negative momentum, um, in, in, in the worst form. So I don't know, you know, if you brought in a guy who just started, who just lit the world on fire, if Lincoln Riley starts five and zero next year and, and Baker Mayfield is just crushing it, I don't know if it becomes a toxic environment. That's all. You don't know what a good person looks like in Cleveland because you haven't had it yet. I'm with you here. Uh, that's why it's my take shop. I think John Dorsey is a very good GM. I just don't know about how it's going to go when the power structure changes there a little bit. Just because uh, so far, it doesn't seem like it's going very well. I agree. So I would love to see it go well. I would love to see Baker Mayfield succeed. I want that more than I want most things NFL related just because I think it'd be so fun. I, my hope is that I'm very wrong about all of this, but I'm starting to get worried. Okay. I'm not all worried. Right. I'm, I'm worried about like I'm, I'm worried, worried about like ten things in the NFL more than I'm worried about that. Good, that's good. I'm I, I, that makes me happy. It makes me feel a little bit better. All right, let's get to the biggest three games of the week. Start off with, I mean, 
I guess there are a couple of blockbusters this week, but this one's pretty This week good. rules. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, a couple of weeks that were like, ah, oh, man, we can't even find three. Uh, we had to pare some down. I mean, Seahawks Chargers could be a fun one too. We're not going to talk about that, but we're going to start with Rams and Saints because that to me is the headliner. I know Rogers, Brady, everything else, yeah. but you know, these are the two best teams in the NFC. Did you see Marcus Davenport's out for a month? Really? Mm. Man. <laughs> got a good t- thing they don't have got a first round pick. Next got year. a toe injury. Oh, that's brutal. Their pass rush hasn't exactly been great with him. I got to tell you, toe injuries, not something you want to be involved in. It sounds more painful than like an ACL. There's so many different kinds of toe injuries. In a very strange way. I mean, well, turf toe is not a toe injury. Well, does he have turf toe? No, it's a foot injury though. I'm just saying the types of hurt toes you can have. Yeah, I don't know, dude. That sucks. Doesn't sound fun. That sucks. I've I've been hit by multiple cars in the last two years, and I'm completely fine with that. But the f- toe injury. Whew. What are we thinking about this game? What are you looking for? All right, so I'm looking for another test for both of these teams. They both had really interesting tests last week. Obviously, the Saints with with the Vikings and and the Rams and the Packers. So. I'm really excited to see what the top of the NFC looks like. I'm looking for individual matchups more than... I, I don't necessarily believe that whoever wins this has some sort of um, psyche advantage when they play again in January. I don't I don't really believe in that. Looking for individual matchups. Can can the Saints make enough plays? You know, I think I keep going back to the idea that someone like a PJ Williams turned around their fortunes mid-game last week when they were getting picked on and then they made the, you know, they start forcing turnovers. So I'm just looking for that. I want to see if either of these offenses is is legitimately unstoppable. One of the things I learned in the Rams Vikings game was that the Ram, even though the Vikings put up you know a trillion passing yards and Adam Thielen's breaking records and Stephon Diggs is uncoverable in some situations, they just couldn't hang with the Rams in a shootout. And that's what I'm intrigued by. Uh, is one or one of these offenses going to be able to just find the extra gear and put up? 40 points, put up 35 points if the other team only gets 25. That, that's what I'm intrigued by is just how these units match up. Well, one of the reasons that the Vikings couldn't stick with the Rams in a shootout is that the Rams, or excuse me, the Vikings offensive line can't block the Rams. Right. That's the number one element to me of this game is the Rams pass rush and the importance it's had over the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. Their struggles in the secondary make the pass rush crucial. It's necessary for them to stop people. And I don't know if they're going to be able to take over the game against the Saints like they do against other teams. The Saints offensive line is so good and Breeze gets rid of the ball so fast. As of last week, it was the sixth quickest release time in the league. I think it was 2.38 seconds. And they have an offensive line with no weaknesses. There are no bad players on the Saints offensive line. Think about that in 2018. How many teams can say that? One, two, three. I mean, you can count them on one hand easily. Yep. And I just feel like that's going to be a problem for the Rams. It's the type of game I could just imagine turning into a shootout because I don't believe that the Rams can stop the Saints. And it might just come down to whoever has the ball last. I mean, if the Rams are going to say, all right, Marcus Peters, you have Michael Thomas, that's not going to go well. It's just not going to go well for the Rams. He has not played well all year. Who knows how healthy he is? And Michael Thomas is a monster. The Rams off or defense is just completely ill-equipped to deal with the Saints team in a way that they're not with almost any other team in football. Yeah, if it's a one-possession game, I'm not going to take a lot away from it. No, I think it could be because I also think that the Saints are going to have a really hard time stopping the Rams. Yeah, oh no, I, I totally agree, especially with Marcus Davenport out. I mean, at this point, 
what kind of pa- what kind of defense are you going to be? I don't I don't think even though they had that recovery last year where they looked helpless in September and then all of a sudden they've got the 10th ranked defense by points at the end of the season. I don't see that sort of transformation for the Saints this year. I think they're obviously getting better each and every week on defense, but I don't think it's going to be that significant. I think they're going to have to just hang on tight on defense and try to win some of these shootouts. This is a very weird stat, and I'm not exactly sure why it's true, but the Saints have the second best run defense DVOA in the NFL. Let's go. Are the Redskins first? They've been very good against the run, which is just bizarre to me. They don't necessarily have the personnel to do that. But are the Redskins uh, nation- first? The Redskins. It is Houston. Mm. Surprisingly enough, I don't know. What to I tell just you. don't. I don't care about the stat. <laughs> <laughs> so it's Houston. I mean, they say the Texans' defense is very good. But I, uh, yeah, I, it, it, well, the run, I mean, their corners are a mess right now, but for the most part, they have good personnel up front. So yeah, I just, uh, I don't really know how this is going to go for the Saints defense. I don't, everyone is, is, everyone who's decent at stopping the run is decent until they play the Rams and they have to deal with like having to put five guys in the box because the Rams have four receivers out there and then Gurley gashes them every play. What do you think the over under is for this game? 59. 60. Yo! 60 on the dot. Is that the highest ever? I don't think it's the highest ever. It's the highest I've seen this season. What, what, Ooh, boy, what it's wasn't, be fun. wasn't the highest under ever ever under in the NFL uh, ever earlier this year? Hey, that, that doesn't surprise me. Some I mean, we've seen a lot Falcons of Falcons game or something. Ooh, that sounds right. Falcons Steelers was the highest of the season. That was fifty seven. This is sixty. I'm yeah, no, right no, now. I know sixty. Oh man, I'm all over. There's a Reddit thread. There was a Falcons Saints game in 1979 where the over under was 32. So that's all you need to know about football. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's get to our next one here. Packers at Patriots. I mean, this is so fun. I went to ESPN.com this morning mm-hmm. and I saw their little illustration of Rodgers in a Patriots yeah. helmet. Well, and it just it's it just warmed my soul so much. I was like, oh my God, I love seeing it. I love seeing him in anything with that yellow fucking dome. Hypothetically, um, if there was someone on this podcast who was going to write the same column, um, they would have had a much different reaction to seeing that illustration and knowing that they had to change their angle. Just throwing out ideas. So I did not (laughs) necessarily enjoy seeing that illustration, knowing that I have to write a different column now. I can understand why someone else wouldn't enjoy just seeing it. Just hypothetically, really if someone yeah, had that column yeah. ready to go for Friday and then saw that, yeah, it's fine. Again, Is I'm there, not saying it's me. It's just definitely hypothetical. Um, yeah, so that was interesting. So I think that these are two, and and it's really interesting to me because I, I talk about the golden generation of quarterbacks a lot. Breeze, Brady, Manning, Rodgers. Rodgers being the youngest one here. And Manning being the one who's been out of the league for three years. Yeah. And But what I find fascinating now is you see this younger generation, Mahomes, guys like that, Carson Wentz, guys who we know are going to be around for the next decade. And one of the things we're never going to see from them is their ability to navigate the different eras when it wasn't the passing boom when the rules were different, when it was more defensive. Um, I mean, I just think what's interesting about Rodgers and Brady is they reinvented themselves three or four times. Um, I think, I mean, Tom Brady, 
he came in as, you know, I think the first Super Bowl he won, they described him as paper cutting you to death, you know, just sort of short passing. And then he, he goes 2007. and well, That's it's, how it is now. It's all sick. No, right. And, and in 2007, he's just throwing bombs to Randy Moss or he's basically inventing the modern slot position with Wes Welker. 2011 opens up even more. And now it's going back to the short, quick passing because that's the era. Both of these guys molded themselves to the different eras over 15 years. And it's unique because, first of all, the generation now won't have those different eras. And second of all, they may not, they just may not be good for two decades. I mean, what we've seen out of these two quarterbacks is absolutely incredible. It's so weird. Watching the the Patriots every year is just so strange because watching Green Bay every year, the offense is mostly static. We know what it's going to be. They have run a lot of 11 over the past few years. Not a lot of motion. A lot of slant flat. You know what you're getting for the most part with Green Bay. And then you go watch the Patriots. And it's a lot of the same passing concepts. Mm -hmm. You know, they've done that for years. And they have so many of the same plays in that playbook. But you have 17 different guys running them. We've talked about this so much. I remember writing about it last season. We described the evolution of their offense and how the plays don't necessarily change, but the personnel packages change every week. I mean, now they're running packages where it's 11 personnel, but Devlin is the running back. Yeah. I mean, James White is essentially their number one receiver. It's just a very bizarre team as far as their offensive game plans and their offensive personnel structure. And I think that's not going to change this week. I mean, they destroyed the Bears by just put, making them line up in base personnel and again, paper cutting them to death. That's what the Patriots love to do. And they just want to get your outside linebackers in coverage and just destroy them. And they love doing that to teams that run a 3-4. And you're going against another one this week. And I'll be curious to see what Belichick and McDaniels are thinking because you can probably think of this two ways. One, you could keep them in base and tear up guys like Clay Matthews and Nick Perry if you make them drop. Mm -hmm. Or you can take a team that just traded away its best pass defender and best back-end pass defender. Alexander's pretty good. And you can make them flood the field with secondary players that probably shouldn't be out there. And you can attack them that way, either with running the ball or something else. So I have no idea. And I never have any idea what the Patriots are going to do. And that's why the Patriots are so freaking good. It's fascinating. And what I think is interesting is I think McDaniels and, and Belichick have had a lot of say in how the, the, Patriots offense has evolved in its different iterations. I mean, McDaniels is meeting with Dan Mullen about the Urban Meyer offense in 2006. I mean, there's a lot of ins and outs of just the history of that that I find really fascinating. What's interesting about Rodgers is I think any changes to his game have been via Rodgers. And that's, there's a lot, a lot of reasons for that. Um, but it's, it's interesting to me as far as Brady's fit within that system versus Rodgers, just improvisation and his brilliance. And I think that if you did like a departed deal and you switch them, I think it's a very interesting history. Um, I think that maybe, I, I kind of, I don't know, where do you fall on this, Robert? Because I've been thinking about it a lot. Do you think that if Belichick had Aaron Rodgers, that it would be a dramatically different Rodgers because it would be less sort of uh, improvisation? I really don't know the answer to that. I haven't thought about it that much. You know, when you, I consider this, I more just feel like just the inferno of talent that you would drop into the Belichick system sure. would be enough to make them dominant. And, and it's not that I think that they'd be better or that much better necessarily. Because I feel like what Brady is for that team 
it, it almost defines them in a way. So it's hard to imagine. You know, is this offense any different with Rodgers? I don't know because Tom Brady is this offense. I mean, every single element of who Tom Brady is mentally, the processing, the decision-making, just how quickly he gets the ball out, all of that stuff, that's who this team is at their core. And Rodgers isn't that necessarily. So it's almost impossible to imagine just because it's so dramatically different. Yeah, I mean, it's it's unknowable and it's very, very fascinating to me. All right, let's get to our third one of the week. Good old-fashioned Steelers-Ravens game. And uh, guess what, Kevin? After all of our kind of hemming and hawing about the Steelers at the beginning of the season, you know, the Bengals, the Ravens, are the Steelers done? The Steelers are in first place in the NFC North. Yeah, I, I kind of Or AFC North, that. excuse the me. The Ravens are in third. The Ravens really fell from grace. I know yeah, it's early and season four. and you, know, you lose two games and all of a sudden you can, you can fall quite a bit in the standings. I still believe in them, but I'm not, I'm not, talk, I'm not trying to talk myself into the Ravens in the same way I was two weeks ago. Yeah, I'm not either. And I was watching that Steelers game against the Browns. And I know this is simplistic and it's very much on brand for me, but you watch teams all around the league and you Mm -hmm. watch the Vikings and their passing game and how the pocket just crumbles every two seconds. And Kirk Cousins is having to just throw into the backs of his offensive linemen. Like the arm angle on these Kirk Cousins throws is hilarious. Like he's having to throw the ball over the shoulder of a guy running into him every single play. And he's still been pretty damn good at it. Deshaun Watson the same way. And then you go watch a Steelers game. Ben Roethlisberger during that game against a team with Miles Garrett and Larry Ogunjobu, who's been pretty good this year. Not touched. Was, was hit one time. Yep. One. He was sacked one time and he fumbled on that sack. It was, it was a Vill- game changing play. Villanueva kind of got Garrett, right? Yeah, that I was mean, the matchup. Villanueva is a very good player. Yeah. In the league right now, Ben Roethlisberger is the second least pressured quarterback in football. He is up there every single year in the number of sacks he takes, in the number of hits he takes, in pressure rate, because this is a complete offensive line that's played together for years. They know how to work together. They know how to pass guys off. They are just disgusting in the run game right now because they have such a feel for how each other play. And when you can have that at the core of your offense, it gives you a chance to succeed. And when the offensive skill position players you have are Antonio Brown, Juju Smith-Schuster, and James Conner, inevitably it's going to work. It doesn't matter how, what the struggles are at any point in the season, how bad Ben Roethlisberger can be in stretches, inevitably it is going to work. I think that they'll struggle a little bit this week, but they'll still make a couple big plays because that's what happens when you have a very clean situation to work in. I mean, I'm just looking, thinking about last week against the Vikings. Drew Brees was hit one time, the three times I believe, and this wasn't counted as a hit, but the one time he was really bothered as he threw, he threw a pick. He threw a pick. When these quarterbacks have just a perfect situation to work in, they're too good to not succeed. And that's just how I feel about the Ravens offense or the Steelers offense right now, even if against this Ravens team, it's a tougher slog than most. Yep, I agree. I mean, I think that in a weird way this season, we saw so many weird things in the first month six weeks of the season. And I kind of think that everything is going to turn out almost exactly like we figured out with the exception of maybe the Jaguars. Yeah. I think the Jaguars are probably headed to a bad place. Yeah. But I'm just to like the, the, the okay. bad place. It's like, all right, I didn't even Steelers, mean to do Steelers, that. Steelers are going to win the NFC North. Who cares? AFC North. Who cares? What do you think about, I mean, just, do you feel like the Ravens can move the ball on this Steelers team? Because I mean, their defense has been much better as of late. I think that their pass rush has been better, but again, 
the Ravens offensive line has been pretty good in pass protection as well. So I'm not sure if there are a couple deep shots you can hit against this team. I think that Pittsburgh clearly struggled against the Ravens in pass protection. In, uh, in coverage when mm-hmm. they played earlier this season. But I think this Steelers defense is finally coming around in a way they weren't earlier on. Yeah, I, I, I don't know the answer to that question um, I, because I think both these teams are changing rapidly. I'm, I'm looking forward to that particular matchup. Yeah, I think it's fun. I think it's going to be very telling about especially the Steelers. I mean, you, know, you play the Browns team that's it completely dysfunctional. Who knows what the hell is going on? I just feel like where this defense was kind of a mess, especially on the back end of the beginning of the season, it's starting to come around a little bit. And that's a scary proposition because I just don't know how their offense is going to be stopped if they keep playing like this. Did you see what Matt Patricia did today? I heard what he said to the team, right? That he no. had, I mean, what he, else? He got mad at a reporter and he ripped his posture. What did he say? I have the transcript in front of me. What do you, the reporter, what do you, what, why do you think this move makes your franchise better? Patricia. Ah, well, you know, do me a favor and just kind of sit up. Just like have a little respect for the process. Every day you come and ask me the questions and you're just kind of like, you know, give me this. Reporter, I'm sitting. Patricia, I'm asking just be a little respectful in this whole process. What are we doing here? Do you ever worry about your posture? I don't know how mine is when I'm asking questions. I usually have, I've not been, I've not been uh, critiqued on that. I was once critiqued by, I used to be a lot heavier than I am now. And I was once critiqued about my press box eating habits by a then offensive coordinator. And uh, I shared that story a few times. And then I had to, I was informed I cannot share that story anymore by a ringer staffer because it's, uh, that person was body shaming me. So I just don't do it anymore. Okay. I don't tell that story anymore. Okay. I'm not too worried about that one. Oh, okay. no, neither am I. It was Pat Shermer. Um, okay. All right. Do you want to talk about Thursday I don't know. Night I know. It was, it was, he was joking. He was joking. Yes. But it was yes. real because I was over 200 pounds. He I mean, was joking. I hope that's not the threshold. Well, you're not over 200. I'm not over 200 anymore, but no. I certainly was way over at one yeah, point. Yeah, so was I. And then Pat Shermer whipped me into shape like some sort of football Richard Simmons. <laughs> I wish he could do the same thing for his football team. All right. Uh, the Thursday night football game this week is maybe the worst Thursday night football game in the history of Thursday night I football. I believe that is statistically accurate. Um, Josh Dubow had a, a stat about this. I don't have it in front of me, but I saw it earlier and I, I wrote it down that this is the worst primetime game in the history of football. Is there anything that you want to say about this game? Absolutely not. All right, good. I'd yeah. rather, way, I'd the rather. The are playing the 49ers if you guys were curious. I mean, my dude, I would rather have a three hour long talk about my posture with Matt Patricia than watch this game. Thursday night football. When it's on, it's on. All right, guys. As always, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back on Sunday. We sincerely appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Today's show is brought to you by KiwiCo. Are you stumped on what to give the kids in your life this holiday season? KiwiCo creates super cool hands-on projects for kids of all ages that make learning about science, technology, engineering, art, and math fun. KiwiCo is offering today's listeners the chance to try them for free just in time for the holidays. To redeem this offer and learn more, visit kiwico.com slash NFL.